Welcome to the Sunday morning service at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia, where the Bible is opened and explained. Christians are encouraged and Christ is lifted up. Thank you for joining us and may your hearts be blessed as God's word is taught. And now, enjoy this message from Pastor Lauren Regeer. If you have your Bibles today, I want you to go to an Old Testament text and then we'll get back to Matthew chapter 26. The Old Testament text is found in Exodus chapter 12. I have long wanted to uh, pick this uh, idea or this event that was held during the Passion Week, the Passover, as a connector to what we will celebrate together as a church in just a few moments. The Lord's table, often called communion of the saints. One of the ordinances, two ordinances of the church, uh, of course, baptism being the other. Tonight, we will enjoy the baptism of Eunice Aja as she has committed her life to Christ, and, and she would like to just display that as an identity to the church and follow the Lord in believer's baptism. That'll be tonight's service. But the ordinance of the Lord's Supper is definitely, intricately, foundationally connected to the Passover. And can I just lift my hand as saying, I wish I knew more about the Passover. Because it was during the celebration of the Passover, during the Passion Week, a week that was full of just wonderful events, poignant events, critical events. Started out with, of course, the celebration that came as Christ rode that donkey into the city of Jerusalem, and the cheers, the palm branches. Uh, and then there was the cleansing of the temple and the attitude. <laughs> The attitude of especially the religious elite changed a little bit. And they wanted to put Christ to death. And there was the cursing of the fig tree. And later in the week, of course, we see that Christ, uh, as was the custom of Moses, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread began with the Passover celebration. And so he asked the disciples to go and find this place, this home, and there he would celebrate. And that's really our key as we look at that particular feast in terms of its significance to this one that we enjoy as a memorial uh, this morning. But here in Exodus chapter 12, if I would uh, encourage your attention here in chapter 12 and verse 1, we'll read through verse 14, the Lord spake to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt saying, of course, this is after over some 400 years of captivity, this month shall be unto you the beginning of months, and it is. This is a month in the Jewish calendar that starts their year. Shall be unto you the beginning of months, it shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month, they shall take unto them every man a lamb of their own field. They were go out and select a perfect, unblemished lamb that did not have any affliction or sickness or disease. Pick the best one. <laughs> Bring it. Tie it to a post near your house. Develop somewhat of a, a kinship, a friendship with this little one. And then we'll see what happens later. The tenth day, bring it in, according to the house of the fathers of the lamb for a house. And if the household, verse 4, be too small or little for the lamb, let him take and his neighbor next to his house. Take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. In other words, you could join your neighbor in this celebration if you were too poor to have a lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish. A male of the first year, you take it out of the sheep coat or also from the goats. 
a kid of the goats, and ye shall keep it unto the fourteenth day of the, of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of the Israel shall kill it in the evening, and they shall take of the blood and strike it upon the two side posts and the upper doorpost of the houses wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in that night. Here we see some of the elements of the Passover roasted with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs shall they eat it. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden, nor boiled at all with water, but roast it with fire, his head, legs, and with the pertinence of it, or the entrails thereof, and ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning. And that which remaineth of it until the morning ye shall burn with fire. And thus shall, thus shall ye eat it with your loins girded, ready for travel, your shoes on your feet, your staff in your hand, and ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Interesting phrase. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and I will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt will I execute judgment. I am the Lord, and the blood shall be to you for a token or a sign upon the houses where ye are. And, what a great phrase, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt, verse 14, and this day shall be unto you for a memorial, a sacred memorial, and ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations." And ye shall keep it a feast by ordinance forever. Uh, this is a great passage that reminds us of where the Passover was instituted years and years ago, some 3,500 years or so, and they have been celebrating this, the Jews especially, in an ongoing memorial. This morning as we anticipate our time together around the Word, special uh, time for the church, especially in the Easter season, as we think of God's sacrifice for us, uh, I just wanted to ask you a little bit as we begin, what, what comes to your mind when you think, we've just read a few verses about the Passover, but what comes to your mind when we think about that feast called the Passover? I think most of you, if you've been around church very long, you would immediately in your mind connect the word Passover, if you study the Old Testament much, to the time in which God extracted his people after some 430 years of, of servitude and slavery in Egypt back to the promised land. And you, if you were really keeping your eyes open, focused during your Sunday school days, uh, perhaps you could even give me some of the plagues that God used to strike Egypt, who were the, the holders of his people, the captors of his people. You see, this whole thing, Passover, and this ordinance for the church is about one word, deliverance. Raise your hand if you've been delivered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Are you thankful? This is about deliverance. And yet God was dealing with a knuckleheaded, hard-hearted customer when it came to Pharaoh. Can you remember some of the plagues that God had to use? And every plague was really an attack on some God that they worshipped and served. 
and through, I, I think it was at least um, supernatural for sure, some natural consequences, God began to turn up the heat on Pharaoh. There was the river to blood. Of course, most of us remember frogs, knee-deep in frogs, right? There was that plague. There was also the plague of gnats or lice, swarms of flies, livestock that was struck down, boils, hail, locusts, darkness over the land. And all these were exclusively focused on the Egyptians and Pharaoh's court. Each plague, as I mentioned, was a mockery of one of their gods. Their false gods of the sun, the moon, fertility, protection, pleasure, procreation, childbirth, abundance, growth. And yet, after each one of these nine plagues, Pharaoh, although he acquiesced a little bit, what did Pharaoh say? No, Moses, I will not let your people go. Finally, God, and a final strike against really uh, the household of Pharaoh himself, who, who claimed to be God and who believed his dynasty would go on forever. Hence the pyramids, right? So God turns up a final curse, a final plague. And you remember well, this particular text comes on the heels of God saying, Moses, say to Pharaoh one more thing. And this will be the curse of the firstborn, the death of the firstborn. This was an attack on Pharaoh's family who had snubbed God and thumbed his nose at God himself, claiming himself to be God. And oh, the graciousness of God, who even in the midst of this final plague where God would sweep through the land hand in hand with the death angel who would raise his bloody sword at every home, it didn't have these three signs, the sign on the side and the top lentil of the door, blood applied in the form of a cross. Every home that did not have that sign, the death angel would enter in, and not just human families, but the firstborn of cattle as well. But every home that was protected by the blood of an innocent creature, a lamb, that's blood in, in type or in sign pointed to an innocent lamb that would yet come in the person of Jesus Christ. But the death angel, with his bloody sword, would pass over every house without judgment where there was a mark, really the substitute blood of the, the, the atoning or the covering blood of the innocent creature, foreshadowing the only blood that could ever really cover our sins, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's that phrase in Exodus chapter 12 that we read. When I see the blood, verse 13, what does the Bible say? I will pass over, pass over you or that family. This was to be celebrated by the Jewish people around the world in memorial of this great deliverance, God's Deliverance of the firstborn, as well as the deliverance of people from the jaws of Egypt through the Red Sea for a long time, in continuance, forever. I believe in type we'll celebrate this even in the eternal kingdom in some way. We will have these, these symbols for us represented. Kevin Howard, who writes for a magazine called Zion's Fire, to which I'm very grateful, shares with us some of the, 
the elements that are so vital in understanding, even in appreciating in a greater sense what we will do today as a church family around this table, because they're linked, vitally linked. The Lord's table, from which, of course, uh, is originated in this ceremony, the Passover, the Lord extracts from all the details of the Seder, the Jewish call it the Seder, the Hebrew, which means uh, organization or detail or, or program. It has this idea of, of, a, of a detailed, ordered service. From all these things that we'll look at this morning shortly, it was that God extracted on that day uh, two basic elements. He lifted the cup, the red juice of the vine, symbolizing his coming death in just a few hours for the sin of the world. And then he lifted up the matzah. <laughs> Any Jews here? The matzah bread. It's like a wafer, unleavened bread. There were three wafers on the table and the four cups of wine, table wine in those days. And, uh, and he, and then all the bitter herbs and the roasted lamb. These were elements, but the Lord from those that ordered service called the Passover extracted just those two things. Here, this symbolizes, he said to his disciples, my blood and this, my body. He held up a wafer broken for you. And for 3,500 years, the Passover by the Jewish people around the world has been celebrated in the month of March and April. Their first calendar month, it's called a bib, but there's other names for that month. But this uh, this ceremony had one, uh, the Passover had one core reality. In fact, we'll see it in our text now turning back to Matthew 26. It's called the Passover lamb. Uh, there is no celebration of the Passover with any kind of meaning at all without the roasted lamb. It is the core element in the Passover meal. And he is saying to his disciples in Matthew chapter 26, as they get ready, we see as the chapter opens, Jesus had finished all his sayings. He said to his disciples, you know that after two days, chapter 26 of Matthew and verse 2, is the feast of the Passover and the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. He didn't mince any words. They, did, they didn't hear that. They tuned it out. Then assembled together the chief priests, the scribes, the elders, the people, into the palace of the high priest who was called Caiaphas. And they consulted, they schemed together that they might take Jesus by subtility to kill him, by deception, by false trials. But they said, not on this feast day, the Passover, lest there be an uproar among the people. And then we see down in verse 17, the first day of this eight-day festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where do we, we've got to eat the Passover. It's part of the Jewish culture, culture and tradition and requirements. And where do, you, where do you want us to prepare for thee to eat the Passover, to eat the Passover? That word right there just signifies the Passover what? Lamb. They understood that. And then later on it says, 
uh, in verse 18, the master saith, my time is at hand, I will keep the Passover, speaking again of that ordered service uh, with the details that Moses prescribed back in Exodus chapter 12. He says, I will uh, commemorate the Passover meal, I will keep it, that feast, along with its meaningful pictures uh, and all of its signs that point to, of course, my own coming death and body broken for you. He says, I want to keep that feast with my disciples. That was his small family, right? And so he gathered together in this unknown location with his disciples to keep the Passover. The Passover, Warren Wiersbe puts it very clearly, the Passover pointed ahead, uh, excuse me, the Passover pointed, yes, ahead to the Lamb of God that would come, whose blood would take away the sin of the world. The Lord's Supper announces this great work has been completed. It is finished. Amen. As we lift the cup to our lips in a few minutes and the bread to our lips, and we are not, uh, there's nothing mystical or magical about it. We're just looking back to the cross and thanking God that when he cried out, it is finished. Full payment was paid. Uh, and no more do we seek in our fields this morning, in our, uh, in our back, backyards perhaps, that tender, precious lamb tied to a post for four days at our backyard and then sacrificed. No, we point back to the cross of Christ where our Savior died in our place. What the risk today of sounding more teacherly than preacherly, uh, and I've, I've anticipated doing this, it's a little bit out of the norm. I want to just take you through, you know, we won't belabor these things, but take you through the modern Passover, which has its roots in Exodus chapter 12, and expresses to us deeper appreciation for what uh, we together as a church celebrate in the bread and the cup ceremony before us. What if you were, or uh, maybe there, I didn't ask if raise a hand, if there may be a, a full-blooded Orthodox Jew here, but what if you were? What would happen in this precious week before proceeding, of course, um, the Lord's death for us. I want to just encourage you to appreciate some of the, the very um, the symbolism that ought to really fill our hearts when we think about this ordinance for the church. Before even they, a family would sit down for the meal, the Passover meal, what they would do uh, is they would have a, I call it a spring cleaning. Any of you know what that is in your house? Uh, the whole Jewish family would gather together, uh, brooms in hand, uh, probably today more like vacuums, and they would scour their house top to bottom, removing all, not just dust and dirt, but especially any product that had leaven in it. Of course, this is it's hard to see leaven, it's, but they would take out of their uh, cupboards and closets any form of leaven. Why would they do that? Well, obviously they didn't have time leaving Egypt to bake bread and see it rise. There's part of that. But leaven has always been, in, in, biblically, in the Old Testament and New, an influential symbol of evil, of wickedness, of Egypt. And so before the family would even sit down around the Seder, they would have a house cleaning. Then they would take out their most expensive tableware, kind of like when you have special guests over, 
Uh, they would get out the china, the best china, the silver, the crystal, and it would be placed at a table. The family would be seated in a very special order. Again, Seder is from a Hebrew word meaning order or process. The whole meal is, is fully detailed in the mind of a, an Orthodox Jewish home. Every, de- every element has its time and place. The house cleaning and then the special tableware. And then, of course, every family, when they come together for that meal that's celebrated at the proper time in the season of spring, every family member is seated at a particular place around the table. That has bearing to where the disciples sat that night. Well, uh, how would it work? If you're the head of the family, you'd sit at the head of the table. That's obvious. The youngest would, sit, would be seated at the right side of dad or the father, the head of the household. At the left is the guest of honor. Did you know, the night the Lord served here in Matthew 26, in fact, in all four Gospels, the Passover is detailed for us. But on the way, and then even after the Passover meal, guess what the disciples were arguing about? Who would sit at the place of honor and in, 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 in God's kingdom? Who would be the greatest? Remember that? Well, here at the left was supposed to be the guest of honor. And then the mother would enter and light candles all over the house. And then she would pronounce a blessing. This is the blessing that she would say as she would light candles, not only on the table, but around the living room in different places, she would pronounce this kind of blessing. Blessed art thou, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has set us apart by his word. Speaking of a very Jewish festival, isn't it? And whose name we light the festival lights. Uh, that's, uh, of course, when the four cups of wine, or fruit of the vine, uh, are, are shared, each in its process or its order, each reflecting one of the promises given to the Jews in Exodus chapter 6. Don't turn there. Let me remind you of God's promises to the Jew at the time of the Exodus. Here's what he said to them, Exodus chapter 6, 6 and 7. I will bring you out. That was the first cup of blessing. Second cup, I will bring you or rid you of their bondage, Egypt's bondage, Christ's blood would set us free. The third cup, I will redeem you, purchase you back, bring you out. (laughs) Again, the red color of the wine symbolized for them the coming death and the blood of Christ. That was the third cup, the cup of redemption. The fourth cup is the cup of acceptance. Uh, You are, as a people, they're thinking, of course, as Jews, that we are her God's covenanted people accepted. We as a church are adopted by his blood. The Jews were covenanted by divine fiat or promise. But brethren and folks here this morning, we by the promise, the new covenant are brought in by his blood adopted Gentiles. It is a universal divine promise that he gives to all of us. The fourth cup then being the cup of acceptance. Well, the first cup was lifted, of course, and the Father would uh, uh, pronounce a little bit of a blessing, and I want to just share another slide, and this is what he would say as he would uh, lift uh, uh, the first cup to his mouth. He would say, Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who created the fruit of the vine. Blessed art thou, 
O Lord our God, has chosen us for thy service from among the nations. Blessed art thou, cup of blessing, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who's kept us in life, preserved us, and enabled us to reach this season. In the New Testament, we really call this the cup of sanctification or prayer of blessing. In the New Testament, Jesus himself took this cup. The Bible says he took the cup and he gave thanks, Luke twenty two seventeen. 17. In the modern Passover, there is a pause right here. After that blessing is given that you're reading behind me on the screen, there is a pause. And there's what we call the washing, or what the Jews call the washing ceremony. What is that? Well, usually it would be a, a low, I don't say a low-ranking family member, but one of the younger children who's able to hold a, a basin of water and a towel. He would go around and wash the hands, he or she would go around and wash the hands of every guest present as a symbol, again, layer upon layer. This is a, a, a holy memorial. So the, the, the family wanted the house to be free of leaven, sign of sin and wickedness of the past. And hands ceremonially were cleansed. And so this child would go from place to place, washing the hands or providing the basin of water and then drying the hands with a towel. The Lord noticed the night that he did it, served the meal, that no disciple of his was jumping up to do this service. And so guess what? He did it. The washing ceremony. John 13.5 says, Jesus poured water into a basin, laid aside his garments. And took a towel. A sign of his humility, service, profound compassion. You see, the disciples have been arguing about who would be the greatest. And so, Jesus. And remember, one of the pairs of feet that Jesus washed. That night, that Thursday night, before his crucifixion, just hours before his betrayal, was of the betrayer, Judas. How deep the Father's love. How long the arm of grace that he would leave heaven's glories and bow down. The one who should have sat at the head of the table, the one who should have been served, the master of ceremonies, took a towel, girded himself with a towel, and washed the dusty feet of that rascal, that betrayer, called Judas, who knew in his heart that in a few minutes he would betray this one, this lovely Lamb of God. Does the reach of grace get any lower than to wash the feet of his own betrayer? How deep, how great, how vast the Father's love for us. Oh, love, the, the songwriter said, oh, love that will not let me go. This example forever marked the lives of those disciples. He washed the feet of Judas. He carried the cross of Barabbas. And he took the nails, dear friend, that belonged to you. and belonged to me. That's the character of this lamb in the Passover memorial. After the washing of the hands, the cleansing ceremony, the green 
herbs, parsley, or dipped into salt water. Doesn't sound too tasty, does it? But just that, that's the salad that night. The parsley is dipped into salt water, and each family member eats that. Why salt water? It was to remind them of the tears that were shed by their forefathers in Egypt as they labored in slavery under the oppressive whips of the Egyptians. Then, remember there are three wafers of unleavened matzah bread on the table. They're usually covered in a, in a bag, and so the, the father, the head of the household, will take out of that bag the second one and break it in half, take a linen cloth, and he'll wrap it up, and, and then he'll have somebody, not the children, but he'll have somebody go and hide this somewhere in the house. And then he'll take the uh, other part later, and he would break that up. It's a very important point in the service of the Seder, the youngest child. Then is called up, and this youngest child, after the half of the matzah, the second piece of three, and again, there are three elements as far as the main menu of the Seder. There's the roasted lamb, there's the matzah, of course, and there's the bitter herbs. But uh, after that thing is hidden, half of it, broken and hidden, there's the, usually it's the youngest child who's able to memorize and uh, share, will stand up and will ask some questions. Of course, he or she's got this all memorized, but here's what, here's what she or he will ask. Proudly, they'll stand and share these lines by memory in front of the family. Why is this night different from all other nights? On all, on all other nights, we eat either leavened or unleavened bread, but on this night, why only unleavened bread? On all other nights, we eat all kinds of herbs, but on this night, only bitter on all of the nights, we do not even dip once, but on this night, twice. On all of the nights, we eat sitting or reclining, but on this night, we eat only reclining. So these questions are asked, and she or he recites this. And these questions come from Exodus chapter 12 and verse 26. What mean ye? The Lord knew that in years to come after the deliverance from Egypt, the children would ask concerning the Seder, concerning the Passover, What mean ye, Dad, Mom, what does this mean? Have you ever taken this little, little unleavened wafer to your lips that we as a church share and wondered, What does this mean? Dads and moms, it's not just the preacher's job. It's the head of the household's job to let your children know what this means. What, what the broken body of Christ, the pure, free of leaven, free of wickedness, what that broken body, the perfect, what that, what that means. And what does the fruit of the vine symbolizing, the, what does this mean to us? Don't ever do things just by rote. This is extremely meaningful. So the child stands and asks the parents and the adults in the room, what does this mean? What a great question for us. What does 
What, what is a service? Why is, it di- why is this a different day than any other day? I was talking to Ethan, who is in West Texas. And he says, at our little church, we celebrate the Lord's table every Sunday. And I said, there's no prescription in the Bible for how often. It just says, as often as ye do this, do this in memory of me, 1 Corinthians 11. But the fear that we have, even if it's monthly, bi-monthly, twice a year, once a year, the fear is that we lose the significance and the importance of these precious elements before us. Well, after the second cup is lifted, the family leader would then stand and recount the story of the deliverance, Exodus 7 through 12, of God's people from Egypt in minute detail. And from that cup, the second cup of the fruit of the vine, he would, at each place, after detailing every one of the ten plagues, he would take that cup and go around to each place setting, uh, no matter how many were there, and pour a little bit from that cup into each of the family members' cups. And this, this part, this detail in the service is designed not so much to remember their own suffering in captivity and slavery, but it was to help the Jewish family remember that these were terrible plagues that God exacted upon the Egyptians. And there was to be some sympathy at that moment in the Seder for not just their own persecution and torture, captivity, but for the Egyptians themselves. After the cleansing of the hands and, of course, the second cup being lifted, there was what's uh, called a, a time where they would take to their, their plates or uh, this compote, this, this kind of a mixture between apple and horseradish. A reminder how sweet God was to the Jews in their delivery from Pharaoh in the midst of their tears. And so there was that combination of apple, which is sweet, and horseradish, which isn't. And then the half a piece of matzah and another piece of matzah bread were broken and delivered around the table. And they were to, they were to create uh, from the bitter herb <clears throat> only <clears throat> the horseradish itself. <clears throat> they were to create what's called a Hallel sandwich named after one of the rabbis that came later, but they were to take just, how many of you have really enjoyed the taste of horseradish? That's what I thought. I saw one hand out there. But the the family was encouraged to take horseradish itself, put it between two pieces of the broken matzah bread, and eat that. The rabbi's intention with that was so that everyone around the table would start to cry. Ever had something like that, that just tasted so bitter? Um, And horseradish alone is used there as the herb by which they wanted the Jewish people, the rabbis wanted the Jewish people to feel the oppression of the slaves. Well, it's at this point in our biblical story in John chapter 13, that the Lord announces a betrayer is seated at the table. 
And remember what Christ says, it will be the one to whom I give the dipped sop. (laughs) As he dips the cracker in horseradish sauce and gives it not only to his disciples, but I'm sure there was eye contact between he and Judas. And the Lord realizes this is the most bitter moment in my life. Not only betrayed by one who is supposed to love me, but in a few hours, my own Father in heaven will turn his back. The dinner is then consumed. We believe that even before the dinner is consumed, Judas escapes from their presence out into the night. And there are three, of course, main ingredients. The roasted lamb, speaking of the suffering of the lamb. The herbs, uh, of course, bitter in their taste. And the matzah bed, unleavened, pure, and broken. And the te- t- today's table, if you were to sit down with the Jewish family, would be a li- bit more lavish, embellished with a ver- variety of dishes. But after the meal, the children, and this really is one of the most Lovely parts of the Passover meal today, the children are dismissed. We talk about uh, this is much more spiritual and meaningful than an Easter egg hunt. But they're dismissed to find the hidden, covered, half a piece of matzah bread, unleavened bread. And there's great joy and rejoicing when one of the children finds it and brings it back, laughing and smiling to the table. I found it! There's a picture there of the body of Christ that is broken for us, covered in death, and brought again to life. That's the meaning, significance behind that piece of bread that's brought back to the table. And then the third cup of wine is lifted, a cup of redemption. This is the after supper cup, Luke 22, 20. This is where the Lord took the cup, the third cup, after supper, the redemption cup, and instituted for us, ordained for us, what we partake in this morning. This cup is found in verses 26 through 28. You see it there in Matthew 26. And as they were eating, Jesus took the bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to his disciples to take eat this is my body. They knew it wasn't his actual, literal body. It represents my body given for you as the lamb. He took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it. For this is my blood of the new covenant, the new testament, shed for many remission of sins. After they partook together, and what a great, glorious thing. This is the cup that God is speaking of in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the third cup that speaks specifically of His redeeming blood. What a great host of lyrics are written about this particular moment in the Passover. I know a fount where sins are washed away. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Oh, this is a great moment. I know a place where night is turned to day, 
At this point in the ceremony, a child is sent to the front door to welcome Elijah, who will announce the coming of the Messiah. This is where the Jewish nation is still lost. Now the Bible does say Elijah will come before the dreadful day of the Lord. That's way back in Malachi chapter 4 and verse 5. Yes, Elijah, we believe, may be one of the two witnesses that precede the final day of judgment. But so many Jews today, most of them do not recognize that the Lamb has already come. They're lost. They're blind to this. But the boy runs to the front door hoping that Elijah will be there and that the Messiah will be, the king will be installed. Well, there's a fourth and final cup, and it's raised. It's the cup of acceptance, verse 29. But he said, unto you, he said unto them, I will not drink henceforth of this vine until that day when I will drink it with you new in the Father's kingdom. As you study the Scriptures, after the Lord rose again from the dead, we know that he ate honey, that he ate fish, or that he ate bread, but we do have no record that he ever lifted the cup or the fruit of the vine to his lips. He's waiting for us to come home. And in that moment, the church, the believers, and yes, later in the eternal kingdom, the Jewish nation itself will celebrate in his presence the cup of acceptance. You're finally glorified and home with me. A blessing. And then after that, they leave. The Bible says, uh, verse 30, they went out singing a hymn as they went to the Mount of Olives where he would pray, Lord, let this cup pass from me, and then, of course, be betrayed, later crucified, falsely accused and crucified, and then put in a tomb, silent Saturday, followed by the glorious proclamation, he is not here for he is risen, just as he said. I had to think, though, of Christ leaving that upper room, knowing what would soon occur, and yet looking at his disciples and saying to them, let's sing the Hallel. That's uh, from Psalm 116 through 119. Of course, this is just part of it. The stone which the builders rejected has become the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. Sometimes we use the next verse here in this Hallel, this psalm of praise as just helping us get through our little problems, our days. (laughs) To be grateful for the troubles that come to us. But there's a greater meaning. This is the day the Lord hath made. What day? The day of Christ's death, His burial, and His resurrection. This is the focal point of all human history. This is the day. No wonder God could sing. He'd anticipated the moment when he could share that meal, sing that song, and be that lamb that finally and fully paid the price for man's sin. I'm going to ask our men to come. Deacons, if you'll just come to the front, I'm going to move down here, and we together will celebrate the Lord's table in the next few minutes together. Thank you for joining us today. Please tune in each week for new messages from Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you.